Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I said, well, do you think you could ask? He says, yeah, sure. So now we have entree to the front door. Alan knows the owner of Carbones. It's apparently more than one because they're opening it's in agreed. other places. Yeah. Alan knows the guy. So there's a, are you telling me I've got a chance? <laughs> right? So now I think I've got a chance so for I, my friend's I, daughter and husband. I think we need to leap over the daughter and husband. And, and do I, it ourselves. I think we need to arrange for a great dinner. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So there was apparently a lot of interest in the Carbone story. Um, I got a bunch of emails, including one from my friend from camp, Carrie Stevens, who said, well, did you get it done? Or when you got to the foul line, did you choke? Carrie, of course, knows that I'm a bad athlete because he went to camp with me for so many years and knew that I would choke. And I said, no, it's ongoing, Carrie. It's ongoing. We, we have no resolution to it yet. It is ongoing. So you're on serve, though. But I, th- I think we're making progress, although I got... I got this note from Adam Parr, who writes, When it comes to talking your way into a prime table at a New York City hotspot, I'd like to offer a bit of deep insider knowledge from a decade in the New York City restaurant business. One, considering, consider using the restaurant's actual name, Carbone. <laughs> Carbone is an impossibly trendy red sauce joint in the West Village at which it is nearly impossible to get a table without a publicist and a private number. Carbones, as Mr. Tony pronounces it, is, as far as I know, the possessive noun used to describe something that belonged to Mr. Frankie Carbone, who is sadly deceased as he was found frozen stiff in the back of a meat truck at the end of the second act of Goodfellas. That's it. That's the list. Just know the actual name of the restaurant. P.S. If you're looking to go way down the rabbit hole, you could always just read the extensive New Yorker article already written on the subject. I'm surprised Remnick didn't mention it. Thanks for all the laughs. Look forward to more on this soon. So I don't where we are is where we were. I don't have anything new. I haven't heard from Alan Bubis. Maybe Alan failed or maybe Alan doesn't want to talk to me about this. I haven't heard the entire weekend. I haven't heard that we made and by we, I mean, he (laughs) made any progress on getting these two lovely, fine young people into Carbone. Well, courses are closed on Monday, so he'll have time to call you today. All right. From uh, from DG. And I know people like to know what DG's up to. Talking about Bill Murray at Pebble, his swing looks great, but every shot is short. Either has a big ego or a bad caddy regards DG. <laughs> and I got a lovely um, from Kevin Burke. Kevin Burke owns Big Nose Kate, right? That's right. Yes. He makes this whiskey in New Mexico, Big Nose Kate whiskey. And he, you know, went through the loyal little cycle. He met um, while selling some uh, Big Nose Kate whiskey last Thursday evening in Santa Fe. I met fellow little Carl Poston at a local cocktail bar, Secreto. Carl overheard my colleagues and I sampling the brand to the bartenders, came over to introduce himself. We shared some whiskey, a hearty lachiserie, and a few Subaru jokes. <laughs> then he took the Jeff Matisse Falcons pick on the old sports book a couple of weeks ago to the tune of a $130 win. Waking up this Monday to text from friends and yell, fellow littles telling me I need to send Mr. Tony more whiskey because apparently a song called She Drinks Whiskey by Bob Marston prompted Tony and Nigel to mention our little business on the pod. Well, you know, the best of the texts were, was, Mr. Tony needs more whiskey. Get on it. Better make sure he's not using the whiskey to pay Finn at Pineapple Landscaping <laughs> to shovel his walkway. And then just had a crispy grilled cheese with my soup for dinner, mayo on the bread so I could reach a higher smoke point, tell Michael. It's he hit for the cycle. <laughs> Evan Burke hit for the cycle, which is very, very nice. And those were the emails I wanted to get to. Let me get to some other things. I watched Pebble. 
Um, I was rooting for Jordan Spieth to win. And Jordan Spieth bogeyed the par 317, missing a very short putt, three or four foot putt. Yeah, a, a traditional Jordan Spieth miss. Right. Which after he, he thought he hit it flag high. Yeah, well, he hit a great shot out of the sand and then missed the putt. But he lost by two shots. He did not lose the tournament. This guy, Hoagie, won the tournament. What's his first name, Tom? Tom Hoagie. Tom Hoagie. He won it. He birdied four of the last six holes. He hit a shot on, on the par four. He hit a shot on the par four, which Alina. is the kind of shot that Luke List hit a couple of weeks ago. It's the greatest shot of his life. And, and, and he was to how many feet? Two feet? Uh, about six inches. Yeah. It, so I, it's impossible to see how much slope is on that 16th green, which is why you see all those players trying to shape it in. You, you heard uh, Jordan Spieth talking to Michael Greller about how he wanted to shape it in. And the difficulty there is if you miss it anywhere long or right, you can't get it up and down. So he, he played the right shot. Yeah. I, I mean, Hoagie won. I, I think a lot of people, and I think the tour at large, would have loved to have seen Jordan Spieth won. Jordan Spieth shot three under on Sunday. He had one bad bogey, but do the math, people. He wouldn't have won it anyway. He wouldn't have tied it. Hoagie won the tournament. He's a good player? Yeah. yeah Not but... the most charismatic guy. No, and I, and I think at the end of the broadcast, they had a, uh, they had a, just a little, the little story about how Jordan Spieth mentioned if that guy gets into contention, he's not going to fold, which is exactly what you saw. He did not fold. Uh, but, but again, it's the larger story. You're seeing Patrick Cantley folded. Patrick Cantley, I think, enjoyed his top 10 finish. He was, the, he was the front runner in terms of the biggest name at the tournament. He was the favorite to win, and he played fine. He just didn't seem to, he did not hit short wedge shots, which you really have to do around that, that course particularly well. And the course played a little bit longer and a little bit firmer than it often does this time of year. He's a great putter who missed putts just by a little bit. But let me say this about Patrick Cantley I'm, I'm sure he's loyal to his sponsor, Goldman Sachs. A Goldman Sachs hat sends the wrong message to me. It's not, I'm not even talking about being inclusive of the whole world. It's not even inclusive of golfers. <laughs> I mean, it's really sort of elitist. I, I yeah. A Goldman Sachs hat. I think I'm not saying wear an Applebee's hat. <laughs> of course, you can't get a tea time for less than, what, $550? I think a Goldman hat's just fine. Really? Yeah, for a CEO, you know, uh, hit and giggle tournament. He apparently pe- played with the CEO of Gold. Of course he did. I'm, and I'm sure that fulfilled his contract for the year. No, to me, the, what was so interesting to watch is it's impossible not to tie Pebble Beach, is one of, which is one so of the beautiful. more storied courses so and beautiful. storied tournaments on the tour. It does not have the status of a major, of a WGC event, but it is a course that casual sports fans know and want to see it and has some of the biggest stretches of golf when you think about six through ten right along the uh right along the water the, sh- there. the two short par threes and the and the par five up into the sky number eight the hole where jordan speed almost fell off a oh, canyon yes. that was unbelievable and that's one of the most perfect par fours in golf and and the backdrop of this is Nobody was playing in this. You had Jordan Spieth and Cantley as the only two names, and it was set up where you thought they could actually have a nice Sunday finish and dominate the coverage. They both fall a little bit. Jordan Spieth not as early as Cantley versus what's happening with Phil Mickelson in the storyline about you know potential super golf leagues. So if you're the tour, yes, you're looking at Jordan Spieth, who is the poster boy, as he holds out bunker shots and makes ridiculous recoveries. But he's in it to the end. He's in it to the you end. You can talk about him till the end, which is almost as good as him winning. Yeah, and some people and he say... Gives a nice interview afterwards uh, so super honest and you think about if you want if you're jordan spieth fan take a look at what he did on the par 3 12th where he hits a cut into sort of a draw sloping green and that's the only way to get it close that was one of the i think one of the 
only two birdies yep, on that hole. And that's that's sort of the turning point as you're heading towards that last third stretch of the I course. I sure thought he was going to win. He was up two at that point. He was up he two win. when he was putting again, on the par five, and he hits the edge. And he does not know he's up that. He, he does right. not know he has the two-shot lead. Uh, but again, you're looking at this and going, well, if you had a super league, you wouldn't necessarily have the chance for somebody to, you know, somebody who's low on the board birdie for the, you know, go four under on the back nine and win it, but sort of take away from the story. Again, you're the title sponsor as well. I would like to tell you that someone gagged because it's always good to say that. No, this guy won it. Hoagie won the tournament. He didn't fall into the tournament. He went out and grabbed the tournament on the back nine. Even where Spieth could have gagged, where he's off the tee, he's going, stay in bounds. Right. You know, he he hits a recovery shot that hits a tree. He bangs it up to six feet and makes a good putt. I also wanted to mention that um, two things. One, I watched two plays of the Pro Bowl. Two plays. There was no blocking and no tackling. <laughs> it was two-hand touch. Yeah. And I just said, well, this is not football. Why am I watching this? And I stopped watching it. And there was one other thing. I have talked, and Wilbon and I will talk about this. I've talked about the fact that I know very, very few names of the people competing at the Winter Olympics, and I have no particular interest in the Winter Olympics. The one name that I was sure of was Michaela Schifrin. And I found out yesterday that at 8.30 last night, they were going to go to the Women's Super G, one of her strongest events. She's possibly competing in five events, but I think Slalom and the Super G were her two strongest events. And they set up her run with... um, I also got to watch a little bit of Luge, and it seemed like every single person in the Luge, when when they went, they didn't fall, and they came in first. Like the guy started in eighth and then was first, and then the next guy started in seventh and then was first and kicked everybody else out. So the Americans who were at one point one two three maybe finished twelve sixteen and eighteen, whatever it was. And I don't have I don't. Luz just looks. You know that might be fun for ten seconds till you died. <laughs> I don't care about it. There's no way of telling who's good and who's bad. There's just no way. So it doesn't matter to me. But I was interested in seeing Michaela Schifrin. They did a lovely story about her, one of those up-close-and-personal things, sadly about the death of her father and how she was recovering from that. And she seemed so pleasant and so nice. Five seconds into her run, she's out. She falls. She misses a gate. She's out. It's over. It's the only person whose name I know in the entire Olympics. It's over. I now have no reason to watch. And it was a lovely story, too. Did you, do you, have you ever heard of her? Uh, yes, because Comcast, NBC, they don't let you uh, hear any commercial without the speed of her. You get, get your cable faster than Michaela going downhill. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, we, over the weekend, we fell into uh, mixed curling. Uh, we were watching Switzerland and hey, You could have gone play. to Tori's house for that. <laughs> Fan- just fantastic. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I apparently had the use of the broom 100% wrong, a total 180. I thought you were using the broom to scrape up the ice bits to slow it down, but apparently you're, trying, make it yeah, you're trying to smooth it out. I think you're trying to And there's different faster. techniques because of, yeah. Would you like to try curling? It seems to me I would fall down. Every single time, it seems I like it walk. fits the, the category of country club sports. So yes, I could I could just get a a, a tea time on a squash uh, court right after I curl in the morning. Yeah, feels like the, the competitors could also be like holding a beer while they do it. You I think know? they do. <laughs> yeah, I think I think at local gyms. Yes, I think they absolutely like gyms. Do. They're not gyms. The debate in our house was places. if I could actually 
not just get down, but get back up from the release position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. The thing weighs a lot. Yeah. It does. It's like 40 pounds. It's like the Unsfunnet stone for those of now, you who are old enough is, to remember the Ovaltine Why doesn't anyone just <laughs> barrel in it? Because they talk about these blockers that you put in front of the house. Why don't you just throw it as hard as you can and see what happens? Like, are there penalties? I don't know. I mean, you have the ability. There's two things you're supposed to be doing. One, knock somebody else out, and two, put yourself in position. Right, you have to get closer so you, so you can score So you want to, I would assume you want to throw it hard enough that if it hits something else, it bounces that thing off the track. I right, and then you're, you're sort of getting these double bounces to try and see if you can hold yours in position because of the correct spin. A lot of cool physics, I guess, that would be. I don't, I've lived a long time without doing it. I somehow don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> But I don't know if, if, for example, the owner of Carbone said, let's go curly and we'll talk about this, then I, I guess sure. I would do it. But we'll Carbone's take... is a red sauce place up the pike. Yeah, Carbone is the one. <laughs> Frankie Carbone. Yeah, Frankie Carbone. Didn't end well for Frankie, did it? No. Doesn't end well for a lot of people in Goodfellas. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, I was going to end the show right now because <laughs> of the Goodfellas reference. Okay. Egg um, noodles and ketchup. When we come back. Michael Wilbon will join us, and we'll talk about all of these, all of these things, you know. And then Wilbon will want to talk about the NBA and college basketball. And I, I understand that. That's the next three months of our lives after Sunday, the NBA and college basketball. That's what we've got. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a simply safe ad. Wow. Now they have an introduction here I've never seen before because I'm reading this off Michael's phone. Because Nigel stupidly forgot to bring the actual ad. And yes. it says, today's episode of the Tony Kornheiser Show is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security. Never read anything like that before. Have you ever wanted to know what's happening at home when you're not there? I'm a big fan of the new wireless outdoor camera from Simply Safe. It lets you see what's happening outside right from your phone and alerts you when anyone approaches so you always know who's there. That would make me nuts. I mean, honestly, that would make me nuts. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your home safe, from entry and motion sensors to indoors and outdoors cameras. Simply Safe is monitored 24/7. That's shorthand by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day. I didn't know that. You can set it up in around 30 minutes. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/tone. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera. You should do that. Plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Tony. Remember, it's simplysafe. is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I. Simplysafe.com slash Tony. And, you know, use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Bernardo. Who writes, I wanted to share this song by one of my favorite bands in L.A., New Elvis. The song is called Love Jam, and the fun fact, the lead singer known as Johnny Love claims his father, Jim Hybee, H-I-B-E-Y or Hibby, has played golf with you at Columbia. That's not a name I'm familiar with, H-I-B-E-Y, Jim Hibby or Jim Hybee. Connective Tissue. New Elvis has a bunch of great songs on Bandcamp. I hope fellow littles will love their music, too. Love Jam, lead singer Johnny Love. I went to school with a guy named Stuart Love. Was not the lead singer of anything. <laughs> Wilbon, do you know a guy named Jim Hybe or Jim Hibby at Columbia? Do you know that name? He, he didn't say he's a member. He said he played golf with you there. He could be from the moon. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, that's fair to say. 
I didn't so, know. No, that. I don't. I don't recognize the name. No, no I don't know it either. Uh, did you watch Pebble? Uh, yeah. Yesterday was the only time all week I watched uh, Pebble, so I watched uh, quite a bit of the final round. Not a ton, but because I was traveling back from uh, from New York. And yeah, I watched. I watched enough to get a flavor of a beautiful day at Pebble Beach. It, if it's beautiful there, then that's about as beautiful as you can get anywhere that I've ever been. You, you've played that. I played it once. You've played it a bunch of times, right? Yeah, you love it. Yep, uh, seven, eight times at least. Wow, I do. I do. I, I, I you know, Tony, I, I spend, I spend a lot of time in Northern California since 2015, uh, right, with the when basketball. the Warriors got good. And so, yeah, there's a lot of time where you're just there. And you've got, in the playoffs particularly, you've got, you've got downtime. You've got a couple of days, um, several times. And you just go, you know what? <laughs> what, what am I going to do better today on this off day right. than go to Pebble Beach? And the answer is not a damn thing. No, you're right. And so you're right. I, I, I go, there are people... Uh, in the you know whether it's media or just people I know outside media, who people are ready to say, uh, yeah, let's do that. And so I've gone down to play pebble. I've gone down to Jim Nance's house. Um, been a guest. You had a hole in there. one. You're on the board. You made a hole in one yeah. in his backyard. His backyard, yes. It's just you know just an incredible experience. Every time you go, I don't even care. It could be a cold, blustery day. You're still at Pebble Beach, and on days like yesterday, wow, that's just, oh. wow. So we were, we were saying early on. I don't think Jordan Spieth lost. I think Hoagie won. He had four birdies in the in the last six holes. I think he yeah, won the he tournament. Won. I mean, Spieth bogeyed what seventeen? Seventeen, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he had he was right in there, but he, I don't think I don't think it was a choke job or anything like that. I don't, I don't no. think that should be the narrative. Sixty nine on Sunday, no, not a choke job, yeah. no, no. Not at all. No. Not at all. The other guy won. Give the other guy some credit. Um, yeah. So we had the, we had this discussion sort of kind of about the Pro Bowl, and I just mentioned that I watched two yeah. plays, and there was no blocking. There was no tackling. It was stupid. There was no reason to ever watch it. And I began to think of the All-Star games that are on. And I understand hockey and um, basketball make a weekend out of it. I, I get this. And they have a lot of skills competitions. And I'm not saying they're – not fun to watch, but the games themselves, I could not watch the hockey game. It, it had nothing no. for me. I, I don't try, watch I the watch basketball game. No. Yeah, I, I, it has nothing for me. The only All-Star game that I've ever wanted to watch that for me was appointment viewing was the baseball All-Star game, more so before interleague play, more so. But it was baseball for me, which I think had a legitimacy that the others don't have. Do you agree with that, or is there others that you like to watch? No, no. It's the, baseball is the closest thing to the actual sport, to a real game. I mean, it, it is. And you, the, the play, I'm talking about the action, is the closest thing to the real game. Basketball and hockey are a waste of time. They just are. Yes. And, yes. and, and I don't think they were always that. Now, and I had this discussion last night with a, a friend of mine and people you know, and I've had it with Don I'm like, do you think that we like the All-Star Games, the other ones, because the Pro Bowl, because we were just young and we, did, we weren't discerning? And, you know, you can't, it's hard to look back on your own life and know what you could appreciate and what you understood when you were 15. At 15, I watched the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I watched the NBA All-Star Game. I watched it, – it, it's all a waste of time. It's all junk. 
it's fine to it's just fine to honor the players by naming them all stars. It doesn't mean the games are, are worth a damn because they're not. And so, yeah, baseball is the only one. And I don't really watch that anymore. That's a weekend, too, because it's got the back, 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 back. I don't care about that. Uh, to see people hit batting practice fastball. Oh, yeah, home run derby. Over the yeah. I, don't, I don't care about that. I'm okay with it. It's so, not. It's okay. I don't watch yeah. any of them. I, it's, it's, a, it's time off. People are like, oh, you cover the NBA. You're going to Cleveland next week, right? Are you kidding me? No. 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 And it's a Turner event. It's not an ESPN event. Turner has the all-star game. God bless them. I will not see a second of the weekend stuff in Cleveland. Yeah, for me, it's, it's just, it, it was baseball. And as I was younger, because I would get the chance to see pitchers against hitters, that would never happen except in the World Series. And you would get to see, you know, the, the lineup was stacked. I mean, you know, from one to nine, these guys could really hit. And, and in those days, they let the pitchers go three innings. Two or three, certainly two, certainly two. Starter would sometimes go three, amazing. Yes, yes, three innings. Go through the whole lineup, you could see it. So I I really like that. I also talked about the Olympics. Are you, uh, where are you on the Olympics? Where are you on watching the Olympics? In my house, the Olympics are on. And that's because of of my wife. I mean, the Olympics are on. They're on constantly. Uh, you know, the things that she likes more than anything else are tennis and the Olympics. Right. And so, so like, the Australian Open was constantly on in my house. I turn that off, get it out of here. And I love tennis. I love tennis as much, if not more, than she does. But I don't just settle in and say, i got to watch every single swing of the racket of the French Open, which she will. And the Olympics. I'm like, can we, can we get... Can we get Denver and the Nets, please? Can you? And that, this is only we got. We don't share TVs in this house, but meal time. Right. At meal time, you you can't just take, you know, your plate to the to the basement and to mancake. <laughs> that that that's just rude. And so, so yes, I wanted to watch it. I watched Schiffer and fall. Oh, and she fell these, five seconds in. Yeah, yeah I watched with with, so, with seven women fell. And this whole phrase now, ski out. It's I like, never heard that up. before. That's Stop. like the line to Stop. distance. I never heard that before. Yeah, I hate that. I hate it. Line to game. Score the ball. Right. Score hate the it. ball. Just score. I mean, hate people it. now, you hate know, it. I, I, I hate it too. Yeah, I hate I the just, telecast. I love yeah, the people, I, but I hate the telecast. I don't want to hear line to game. And so I, I wound up watching the thing that I hate most in sports, you know, pairs. Like we couldn't get out of, I couldn't get away from the table fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've, I've tried to think about why it has no particular allure for me. And I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with it and the lack of people in the stands. But it's two in a row in about a period of 10 days from 12 hours away and I don't know what's real and what's not real. And yeah. I, find myself, I find myself in the main, and I will say this for the Winter Olympics, which I've covered, these are invented sports, most of them. It's a lot of X-game crapahula, as Billy Jean yep. would say. <laughs> yep. And yep. I don't yep. care. Yep. I, did, I wanted to see Michaela Schifrin. I did. Well, she's it, all I, I was. did. So, so I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Let me not just be an ass. Let me just... Shut up and watch this stuff. You've seen it in person. You've covered it. You know what it feels like to be there. 
You know what it feels like to be at the top of a ski jump or, or, or yes. downhill or slalom. You know what this is like. You've done it multiple times. And then I get angry at my own son because he says something. He says this very sentence. Dad, Sean White is like the greatest winner Olympian of all time, right? Sean White's a and clown. So what? I wanted to go over the table at him. <laughs> right. I wanted to go. Invention. To go These are inventions. Over the table. And I said, dude, shut up or we're going to fight right now. Uh, just Sean White. And so now, so now I can't even sit there and consume <laughs> it without, without being angry. You don't know right. what's on. You don't know what time it's on. You don't know when anyone competes. It's a, it's a TV show. I don't care. And so now, I'm now, I'm going to just basically, you know, in the Andy Griffith show, who was the guy who let himself in and out of jail? That was Otis, right? Otis, the drunk, the town drunk. Otis, yeah, yes. Yeah. So now, I am going to let myself in and out of other rooms like prison. So I don't have <laughs> to sit at the dining table and watch Dang. the Winter Olympics. The skating, and people fell hard. And then, you know, when some people fall, they tell you how it's okay because the technical merit was so great. And I'm like, this is, no, I hate no, you all fell. of this. This you is fell. why I hated the skating. This is why I hated my own very close friends who covered the skating, Christine Brennan, one of my dearest friends in life, who helped make this thing the most overhyped, overly dramatic, described garbage in the history of sports. Because they're going to tell you why some the judges go to practice in their fur coats. I don't think they wear. I wonder if they wear fur anymore, or if they just wear, you know, Canada Goose. And and I got to watch this and hear about the technical merit. There was a couple on the pairs that fell so hard, I thought they could have been hospitalized. <laughs> and then yet they tell you why they're going to be in second place when they, when they no that you fell get all get off the <laughs> stage. <laughs> Stop. You fell. Stop. The one so thing you can't up. do is fall. You can't Tony, fall. Tony, they didn't just fall. They wiped out. Yeah. And then I started looking up people. You know, so then with Google now, you can make these things all like seven, seven hours events. Like I started looking up Peggy Fleming, and I started looking up Dorothy Hamill. And I started looking up, you know, Debbie Thomas, who went to, who graduated from Northwestern Medical School and is a, a doctor of some renown. Except Debbie Thomas is homeless. Did you know this? What? You know Debbie Thomas is living in a trailer park. No, oh, oh, no. Wait, she's a she's Thomas. a medical doctor. Debbie she's living. Debbie Thomas, Why? Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, my school, my alma mater. Debbie Thomas. Because I don't know if it's bipolar. I don't know what she suffers from specifically. Wow, I but, didn't know that. So, 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 so then I started looking up stuff, and and, and Cheryl knew all this stuff. So she watches the skating. And I'm like, how old is Peggy Fleming now? She's got to be 10 years older than me, which means she's got to be 73 years old. Bingo. She's 73. And, and I, I, Dorothy Hamill is like, I don't know, a year or two older. And I just, I, I started just like looking up their lives and catching up on the lives of people who I did follow very closely my, my whole life as an Olympic fanatic. But Debbie Thomas, man, that just that knocked me out when I Damn. went and, and there's stories. Cheryl starts handing me stories like she's a producer. 
She's handing me printouts, Tony, in my own house. Wow. I'm like, where, no. do you, where are you getting this stuff? Why do you know this stuff? Here's where it ends, when she hands you a printout of Sean White. That's it. That's the last act. I got got a 13-year-old who snowboards. Matthew is a snowboarder of, you know, he's not accomplished yet, but he goes, they go twice a year, they go to, like, Vail and stuff, and they go snowboarding. And he says to me, Sean White, Dad, he's the greatest Olympian, winner Olympian of all time, right? I said, say it again, and you're disinherited. Get out. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you later. This made me laugh. Makes me happy. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Abby Lola, smartest man in Washington, D.C., will join us and try to explain this lawsuit, class action lawsuit that was filed by Brian Flores against the NFL when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a solo stove ad. There's nothing quite like the feeling of gathering around a warm fire on a cool evening. And a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable. Because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. And right now, you can get a great deal on a Solo Stove fire pit. And I'll get to that in a second. But there's been about a month when it's been impossible. It's too cold. To go outside and have the Solo Stove. What we're looking at in the next week or so in Washington, D.C., seems like... Solo stove weather. Yeah, light the grill. I've burned a lot of wood in the last month. Bought some wood, burned a lot of wood. Usually I'm done burning wood by March, and I'm sure I'm on that pace now. But on a solo stove, you burn real wood, too. Yeah, you burn the wood. It's different than in the fireplace. It's outdoors. I suspect you burn less wood. Well, it's different in that it's outdoors, yes. Now, it depends on how you're going to use it. Sliza lights his every, every day of the week. Right. So you might be using more wood because you're not just lighting it between for you. and you know, after Do you light PTI. the wood directly, or is there a starter? Do you use something to start so you, ha- you do use a starter, and you want it. it's all about getting that secondary burn. So you want to make sure it's nice and hot. That's how you're right. going to get it nearly smokeless. Okay. Upgrade your backyard with a solo stove fire pit. If only there were some local purveyors who would drive by your house offering to buy you some seasoned wood. They do that all the time around here. You know, maybe you can hear the envy in my voice that Michael has a solo (laughs) stove. It's the perfect catalyst for getting outside and spending more time with family and friends, if you have friends. Your lasting memories around a solo stove fire pit. It's easy to light, as it says, with a few bits of starter and your fire is blazing in minutes. It's perfectly portable. You can take solo stove with you on camping trips. I don't go on camping trips, but you might. (laughs) Shop now. Get up to 30% off fire pits all month long. So that's the month of February. And use the promo code Tony K at checkout to get an extra $10 off, plus a lifetime warranty and free 30-day returns. Just go to solostove.com. And remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code Tony K. So what are we going to tell you people? Don't be stupid. Use the promo code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by our pal Ronnie Newmeyer. This is David Kitchen, who Ronnie writes is a superb D.C.-based singer and guitarist who performs around the D.C. area, often with his band The Thrillbillies. This song is called Underground. Oh, this is talent. Right? You can see this. From a solo album. by wow, David Kitchen. Ronnie writes that David will be one of the 15 fantastic performers appearing at Newmeyer Flyer's 9th Annual Beatles Love Song Tribute at the Hamilton on Saturday, February 12th. That's this coming Saturday. It's a great way to get an early start to Valentine's Day. So put on your me undies, find yourself a big nasty redhead, and come on down. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> Thank you to Ronnie Newmeyer for that and for sending this. And Michael, if people like David Kitchen want to send in their original music, 
high-quality music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizerShow.com. Abby Lowell, the smartest man in Washington, D.C., joins us now, and I want to talk about the lawsuit that was filed by Brian Flores, a class-action lawsuit charging the NFL with racism. First, what is, Abby, a, a class-action suit? How does that differ from a normal suit? So generally, when you are injured or you have a claim of a breach of contract or whatever, you bring your own lawsuit in your own name against the person or entity or company that you believe did it. So that's what we're used to. A class action was a device that was created in American law, which when there is a lot of people suffering the same alleged injury and there's a common issue among those people, then instead of requiring each person to bring his or her or their own lawsuit, you can have a person who says, I am a person victimized. My injury is shared by others. I bring this lawsuit initially for myself, but I include a description of the class of people that also suffer the same injury. And the advantage is to a plaintiff, for example, we're used to having class action suits. If people know about them, they kind of do know about them. Tony, how many times have you gotten that weird envelope in the mail that says, you get a dollar ninety-eight yes, because the cable yes. company charged you, right? right? And you look at that envelope right. and you go like, wait. So it's often used for consumer cases, for pharmaceutical injury, for pollution, et cetera. Um, lawyers love it because if you get to be the lawyer for the class, you know, each of the class members may, may get a dollar ninety-eight, but you can get your attorney's fees times however many of those people, and it could be a lot of money. So a class action requires two things. It requires the person that claims there's a class to declare that there are too many plaintiffs for there to be individual lawsuits, because there could be, in the case of you and me and the cable company, you know, thousands and thousands. And it also requires a showing that the cause of action, the, the thing that went wrong and, and the potential injuries, share a common question. So that's what they are. Okay. Here, it's a very curious kind of case, right? Because almost by definition, what Brian Flores is saying in each of the ways he's saying it doesn't necessarily mean that there's, again, remember how many potential people of color have ever been in the running to be coaches, right? So the class isn't all that large, perhaps. And I'm not sure that because the facts of each one are so very different that they really have that common interest. So that's going to be one of the issues, because no doubt defendants never like class actions and always fight for there to be a court saying, no, 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 there's no class possible in this case. Does that make sense? Yes. And so it leads me to this question. What would Brian Flores have to prove to include all the other people in a class action suit? What does he have to prove? So and first, remember, uh, declaring and providing that there's going to be a class is different than winning the lawsuit itself. And I think the claim that Brian Flores has that is the most susceptible to the class is, I think, if you go back in time enough, there probably are enough assistant coaches, college coaches, other coaches of color who probably could say that they didn't get the fair shake. In other words, it's the charge of discrimination more than, for example, the charge against Miami that he was ordered or told or incentivized to tank cases. That, yeah, that, is that, that seems defense. so peripheral. That seems to detract from the whole notion of the lawsuit. Why, would, why is that a big deal? You know what I mean? That okay. seems small. Yeah, I, so. Yeah, well, it's certainly not in the mainstream of what he's saying. And by the way, what he's been saying 
has been being said by various people for a long time, which is why we get the goofy Rooney rule. Um, right. Because the Rooney rule is great. Everybody knows on your show what a Rooney rule is. It's great mm-hmm. in theory, but if all it means is you have to, as he's claiming, you know, bring a person of color into the room and say, hi, you want to be a coach? And the person says, yeah, I'd like that. And then you say, thank you very much. And then you go and hire the white guy anyway then it's not much of a rule. Having said that, that's where you have a lot of commonality. You could think of a lot of people that will claim that their interviews were a pretext, they were a sham, they weren't given proper consideration. I mean, here we also have this really wonderful tidbit that one of the one of the proof he has is is that misdirected text from Belichick, right? So Belichick yes. thinks he's writing to the guy who's going to get the coaching job for Buffalo or or from the Giants, Brian Dable, and thinks, yeah, Brian yeah, Dable, and, and, and he misdirects it to Flores, and he gets that right three days before Flores gets his interview. So you could see that that's a pretty strong argument. Anyway, for him to prove this, as I said. He has to declare that there's a class, and I assume I, the class is going to be all those who are subject to the claim of discrimination. And the common issue is going to be that the NFL and the individual teams don't take either the Rooney Rule seriously or they have basically done it as a sham and, for whatever reason, don't provide people of color with the same opportunity. That's what he has to show in order to get the class. Whether it gets forward, it will be fought. And there's another thing that he has to hump over here because there's a huge obstacle which is, as you saw in other cases, including Tom Brady's uh, Deflategate case, the NFL, with its leaders and coaches and others, have what's called an arbitration clause. And I think by saying it, people probably know what that means. You can, in your contract, whether you're an employee or whether you're an official, you can, as part of your written contract, be asked to, or for your own purposes, agree not to sue go side door to another kind of process, which is called arbitration, where the parties agree that there's somebody out there and there are companies that do this, will become the umpire for your dispute mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of the long, laborious, go to court, take discovery, et cetera, et cetera. It's supposed to be shorter. It's supposed to be more efficient. And often it is private. And that's one of the reasons employers like it as well as for the efficacy and the efficiency of it. Anyway, he has an arbitration. Well, we don't know. We think he has an arbitration clause because all the other coaches do, and I can't imagine his teams would not have had it. And when you go into court, when you have an arbitration clause, the other thing a defendant can do is kick you out of court and say, no, 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 you have to arbitrate because that's what you agreed to. So there are going to be some preliminary obstacles for what Flores wants to accomplish. Let me get to one thing that I would say if I was the league. I would say Steve Ross, the guy you're accusing of tampering and accusing of trying to bribe you, hired you. He actually hired you. You were the coach for three years. He hired you. I'm not saying that dismisses a lawsuit, but is that not, if, you, if you're defending this, is that not part of your defense? I think that is. I mean, look, uh, how do you prove that you were passed over, not because of your record, although he's had a pretty Better, he's had a better record, right, at Miami than Miami had before him. He should he never have been fired. That. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so you're right. Look, if you're claiming that I was that that I and people of color are discriminated against, and you were the one who was hired, yeah. then it may mean that you don't have as good a claim. But that goes to the defense of the claim itself, not whether or not he has enough proof or enough ability to claim that there's a commonality for class action but you're certainly raising okay. when you ever get to the merits this is called getting to the merits there is a defense that miami now 
that defense of Miami may not work for New York or, you know, may not work for well, Denver. That's, but. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. On the other side, if I was bringing this lawsuit, I would be looking at who's been hired in the last two weeks, almost all white people. And I, and I would think if I'm the NFL, if I'm Roger Goodell, which is I'm sure why Roger Goodell sent that memo the other day, I'm saying, what are you people doing? You're proving this claim, right? right? Doesn't right. it feel I mean, that way, yeah. Abby? Well, it seems like if uh, look, I I start the conversation, Tony, with the premise. I guess given the performance of coaches, primarily at the football team that plays in the nation's capital, yes. that there are very talented people of color that could be head coaches. Let's start with that premise. If that's the case, and if the NFL had however many vacancies they've had this year, this last few weeks, and Nine. they fill them with like all but one, I think Miami just yesterday or the day before, right? In in replacing Brian Flores, did they name uh, somebody from San Francisco, right? Who's who ha- is a person of color? So who identifies think, as mixed race? Yes, McDaniel. Yeah, yes, identifies as mixed yes. race. And so every yes. other one, it, it is bad optics. But talking yes. about optics, let let's talk about one of the sort of the strategically smart things about Brian Flores' suit. Uh, putting aside whether he has a good claim or they have a defense against him. Whether you go by lawsuit or go by arbitration, you're not talking about something that's going to be done in three weeks. And if you go by lawsuit, you know, we're talking years. You're talking about discovery. You're talking about motions. You're talking about a trial. You're talking about an appeal. You're talking about a million things. But just by bringing the lawsuit and creating the public relations focus on it, you could theoretically accomplish more, if not for yourself, but for the issue, than if you brought a lawsuit and won four years from now. Having said that, your point about like the, the coaches that have been hired in the last two weeks means that maybe the PR shock hasn't absorbed the NFL yet. Wow. I just un- it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, if, if I'm Roger Goodell, I'm looking at these hires, I'm going, what? What are we doing here? And, but uh, it, it, this gets to another question. And I don't know how this works legally. If there is a legal constraint upon an owner, if you own a business and you are hiring a head coach, can you be told who to hire? I mean, do you have can't be told who to hire? But we have long since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. At case law, which uh, allows, because of various hooks, the Commerce Clause, interstate, um, the courts have made it very clear when first Congress passed rights for people of color in voting and economics, that there is the power to enforce non-discrimination in various ways. First of all, states can do it without there having to be a federal hook, but the federal government does it by ways of various hooks. As I said, there is the Commerce Clause, there's interstate commerce, there's uh, various ways that the courts have said they can't tell you to hire a particular person, and they can't even tell you to hire a person of a particular ethnicity, etc. But what they can say is, you can't discriminate on that basis. And it's, so it mm-hmm. becomes a question of who has the burden to prove that that's what's done. And I know it's not in the mainstream of what we're talking about with the NFL, which after all these years are likely now to be called, but the no fairness league or the no fairness left, right? But the Supreme Court has recently just picked up a case that is being talked about, which is how much can affirmative action be something used in college admissions? So we had a long history of the court saying you can't discriminate and depending on the circumstance, like higher education, 
um, you have to look at affirmative action programs are permissible. They're not reverse discrimination. And here you can't be told you have to hire a person of color, but you have, but you have to not discriminate against them. It's, it's not an easy task for employees to win this given the number of positions. And as you said, he was a coach, but if you just look at the statistics and the number of available people and the number of people who get through the door, I think you have a statistical uh, case. And by the way, discrimination, discrimination cases often are based on statistics. Oh, uh, there should be no question in anyone's mind that the racial makeup of the players in the league and the racial makeup of the coaches in the league, uh, when you get to how many black head coaches there are, it appears to be it appears to be discriminatory in the way they are not hired. Not individually, but it appears to be collectively discriminatory, right? It does. It appears right. that and way. And then if you could make that statistical case, then what the defendants have to do is point to non-discrimination reasons for those choices. Okay. And if the numbers are strong enough, that becomes more and more suspect, given the talent that's out there and where we are in, in not just, you know, assistant coaches in the NFL. You have college coaches. You have others. So it's going to be hard to... Not he's going to have a hard job, but the defendants, if it gets that far, will have to say, okay, so wait, you know, you had 12 coaching openings in the last two years, and one person of color got the position given the pool of talented. How's that? And if they say they come up with a legitimate reason, and I don't know what, you know, the defendants could come up with lots of reasons. This person was known to us because he used to be a player on the team. And, you know, there are lots of ways you could probably uh, defend mm-hmm. your decisions. But the, mm-hmm. what we call the burden shifts, then the defendants have to come forward with why it happened. And that's where it gets fought. It's very interesting. Thank you, Abby. Thank you very much. I'm holding off on my questions on the football team, just because that would take another twenty minutes, so I'm going to hold. Well, off. yeah, and next it, time, it, it's, uh, okay, yeah, there's okay, but there's it is interesting because one of the bottom lines to that one is going to be, while while the courts have given Congress a lot of power to do oversight and investigations, the only place left to hold them back is when they're looking into the private affairs of private people. So mm-hmm. the the formerly known WFT. Um, had, may have a good argument that Congress has outst- it, stripped its uh, power here, but we could talk about that another time. We'll do that. Thank you, Abby. Abby Lowell, boys and girls, smartest man in Washington, D.C., which makes you pretty much the smartest man in the country. We will take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X Chair Read. From the moment you sit in an X Chair, your body will immediately say, ah, So this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? No. X-chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? No. X-chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, the DVL, to those cognoscenti, (laughs) your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons to love the X-Chair. Try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. So go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chair, T-O-N-Y, dot com. Or call one eight four four four. Those are numbers now, letters, X-Chair, for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XChairTony.com. Use the code, people. 
You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. We have no playoff wins since 2005. This place where we play is a leaky old dive. The owner is clueless. He's the worst in the league. They were once called the Redskins, but they'll always be the football team to me. There once was a time when old RFK shook. Joe Gibbs, Bobby Beathard, and old Jack and Cook. Now the games are half empty and there's no more cheap Z. They're gonna rename them, but they'll always be the football team to me. Joe Arrow, this is great. <laughs> oh, we have waited so long through the maroon and black. <laughs> Zorn was so colorblind. Oh, and Bruce Allen was wrong. The culture wasn't damn good. Out of his mind. This is seriously great. Now the faithful remaining are looking for reasons to think that this team will be better next season. So we'll hope for the best, not much worse it can be. Blame it all on Dan Snyder, but they'll always be the football team to me. Joe Arrow. Just it's just great. Yeah. It's just great. Yeah, well done, Joe. Just brilliant. great. Thank you so much. You want to do the Bethesda bagel lab, please? Yes, we got the bagel sandwiches today. We're very excited about that. Love them on Monday. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the DC area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let's sing something from the four seasons. There ain't no good in our goodbye, and true love takes a lot of trying. Oh, I'm crying. Let's hang on to what we got. Don't let go, girl. We got a lot. Got a lot of love between us. Hang on, hang on, hang on to what we've got. Frankie Valley, who I believe is close to 90 years old. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Abby Lowell, smartest man in Washington. Thanks to today's sponsors, X Chair, Solo Stove, Simply Safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And this is for Garcia. We have a new promo code alert. Boo, 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 boo. TK Salt for all your Johnny O needs. Uh, TK Salt. S A L T Salt. Salt. Yes. Uh, my salt. contact Claire is like, oh, great. Like for, you salt. know. Salt. TK Salt. Okay. For Johnny O. For Johnny O. Check out the Buckley tea, which Dad likes, even though it has a little bit of a V to I it. I sort of like that. Yeah, very salt. TK Salt. I love that. TK Salt. And Frankie Valley, by the way, be 88 on May 3rd. Hey, he's not Maybe a young man. <clears throat> From Josh Wilson in Estero, Florida. Not only did your beloved Bearcats thrash hated Stony Brook by 16 last week, and by the way, we just beat Maine, beat them to death. <laughs> it was just announced that Stony Brook is barred from the America East Conference tourney since they are decamping to Colonial Athletics. Someone at Stony Brook forgot to check the conference bylaws to say any school that announces they're leaving for another conference is ineligible for postseason play. Good. Bask in the sunlight of victory and rejoice that Binghamton will never have to deal with Stony Brook again. Now bring on the second most important game of the week, Blue Devils versus the Tar Heels. Not a good game. Duke no. won easily in yeah. North Carolina. Not a good game, Terrible honestly. Game. Uh, from Noah Walter. 
I'm looking for advice. I'm in my junior year. I'm receiving college flyers from everywhere, including now Stony Brook. Yes, Binghamton's own rival, Stony Brook. What should I do with this particular letter? Burn it in a bonfire? Give it to my dog to chomp on? Maybe I can put it in my $300 toaster since it's not useful for much anyway. I'll hang up and listen. I've got 14 outlets in my kitchen. Throw it out. You're not going to Stony Brook. Go to Binghamton. <laughs> Throw it out. You want to go to Binghamton? Send me five bucks. Get you. <laughs> Terry Tahara in Bremen, Indiana. I'm confused. I think you said do not send me stuff. Didn't I hear you ask for lobsters the other day? What's the official stance this week? Don't send stuff unless it's stuff I really want. Yep. Mike Crowley sent the most beautiful things from Goat Lane, yep. right? We Absolutely beautiful. So we're happy. Might be able to wear those shoes this weekend. I would hope so. I hope it's warm enough to play. From Shad, a haiku about covering tennis in Australia from D.C. Abject, psychotic, misery of sleeplessness or a great band name. <laughs> from Dan Moore in Winnipeg. Uh, on Friday's show, while discussing Chris with Saliza about the replacement of Justice Breyer on the Supreme Court, you failed to ask the two following relevant questions. One, if any of the new Main Street singers has a chance to be nominated by Joe Biden. And two, whether Justice Breyer will star in a Mike LaFontaine-produced sitcom entitled Supreme Folk, where he's a Supreme Court justice by day and at night, he shares a house with the eight other justices and they sing folk songs. From Spencer Thompson in Boston. It's so great that many listeners enjoy Haribo and Albany's gummy bears, but you're all wrong. Neither of these companies make the best gummy bears. That title belongs to Gummy Baronland, a German company, if you couldn't tell. I was introduced to this brand by my German exchange student back in high school. These gummy candies absolutely eat Haribo and Albany's as lunch. Unfortunately, I can't hook you up with a box since I only ship to the EU. Maybe some European littles can hook it up. Give them my email so they can invoice me for a one kilogram, I guess kilogram, kg, kilogram? bag of the delicious peach fruit snack. You know, that's very nice, Spencer. Thank you. From Rocky Rockovic in Jersey City, a long time email. Yes, we love Rocky. Give the people what they want, you old flirt. Let's hear the Carbone story on Thursday. <laughs> My top three Italian joints in New York City via Corota in the West Village, Carbone, not Carbones, I had that wrong, in Greenwich Village and the Olive Garden in Times Square. <laughs> that's funny. That is lovely. From Ed Butt. Whenever you exclaim that, Ed, that Dan Byrne is a genius, I find myself nodding in agreement. I now know why. I just learned that Dan graduated from my undergraduate alma mater, Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. But then you shouldn't be any more surprised than Wilbon. After all, Lawrence is frequently referred to as the Binghamton of the Midwest. Ed Butt, Lawrence, class of 68. P.S. of interest, Dan is not the product of the renowned Lawrence Conservatory of Music. No, Dan was an English major. Love Dan Byrne. From Stephen Good, or Goody, I'm not sure, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's a tough email for me to write because I routinely go to a brewery and get drinks with the owner of the local Subaru dealership. Super nice dude. Never even mention Subarus unless someone else brings them up. Accordingly, I am not as anti-Subaru as you are. That changed today. As I write this email on Thursday, and this is February 3rd, at 11 a.m., Fayetteville, Arkansas has five inches of snow and counting. Just about everyone in my office, consisting of hundreds of people, decided to work from home today. Guess who decided to go to the office? That's right, a Subaru owner. And guess who mentioned on a call that his Subaru got him to work just fine? And guess who mentioned later in a group chat that his Subaru got him to work just fine? Congratulations, Subaru owner. Your car got to the office where about 1% of the normal workforce has actually shown up with you. What an advantage you have today. Instead of video calling people from your house, you get to video call people from the office because there's still nobody there for you to talk to in person. To be fair, the Subaru owner had a tough choice to make this morning. He had to choose between working from his home, surrounded by what I am sure as a perfect family or showing off and bragging about a Subaru by driving to the office in the snow. It's like Subaru says, love is out there. I guess out there means away from your family, providing, proving your superiority to others. From someone named Paul Simon. Not that Paul Simon. 
<laughs> a few shows ago, you called Paul Simon a genius. I didn't know what I did to deserve this praise. <laughs> so I looked through my emails, text messages, social media messages. The only things I found were the purchase of a water mister for my plants and the purchase of a replacement air fryer with the capacity to, f- to fry an entire chicken. If this qualifies as genius, I'll take it and we'll return the praise by saying, you're only as curmudgeonly as some, not all people say. From Charles DiOrio, Dan will rename FedEx Field to Commander's Palace, right? <laughs> Enjoy turtle soup with the Giants. So Commander's Palace is an old-time, great restaurant Phenomenal. in New Orleans. Yeah. It's just a great restaurant. That is a good idea. From Todd Berkner in Adamstown, Maryland, if the commies does not stick, here's another idea for Commander's nickname. Washington Commander equals WC equals water closets equals toilets. <laughs> I got that um, taken care of. From Jamie Edwards in Reedfield. Bring an umbrella. Maine. Because of this show, I have an interest in the Washington NFL team that is beyond any reasonable correlation with where I live or my personal attachments. And he says better than the commanders, the phalanx, the centurions, the hope lights, the praetorians from the Republic, not from later on, the paladins, the Teutons, or, of course, the Washington football team, which we wanted. The haiku from Shad about the new name is so bad it's funny, but only funny if you're the Karl Marx brothers. (laughs) And there's a funny thing sent to me by Randall Pittman, which um, portrays... Dan Snyder as Chairman Mao in a political poster, which I think is funny. And one more from Michael Sandler. You made a comment in your mailbag readings last Wednesday that you like to hear about famous people from your listeners' hometowns. I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, and there are a few. The most famous, and I didn't need him to tell me this, is the eastern assassin, Larry Holmes. Oh, right. Yeah, who ruled the heavyweight boxing division during an admittedly lackluster period from 1978 to 1985. I actually took geometry with his daughter around 1980. But Easton can also brag about having Olympic gold medalist Bobby Weaver, gold medalist in freestyle wrestling in 1984, a signer on the Declaration of Independence, George Taylor, and a bunch of other writers and athletes on the city's Wikipedia page. And there's also the local mayor, Sal Panto. Mr. Panto was my social studies teacher in seventh grade and was always fascinated by historic Easton. I remember we had a big project on the topic that year, and my best friend Tim Robison and I made a three-foot by two-foot model of the Delaware Canal made out of plywood that took weeks to build, for which we got a 95. Mr. Panto always also has a deli, Sal's Deli, near Lafayette College, where I used to walk from home to get my tasty cakes. And we can start another thread about how superior those are to the schlock that is Hostess and Drake's. <laughs> anyway, after I moved to Maryland in 1984, Mr. Panto became mayor from 1984 to 1992, and again from 2000 to the present, which is a pretty good run. I hope this was interesting. And it was. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Jesus, am I speaking Chinese?
upside down Everything is come on well 